I don't know what to do anymore. I cannot get through to her. Every time I speak to him, I feel insignificant. I feel so small. No, she's always right. I mean, I don't know. She remembers things differently than I do. She's probably right about them anyway. Mel Robbins said, Toxic people make you think you're holding a grudge when you're really holding a boundary. Welcome to the Vanessa Lundino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Lundino. It's good to be with you again. So lots of messages from you in the last couple of weeks. I've loved hearing them. And if I haven't responded yet, you know that I will. I've got tons on my plate right now. As many of you know, I'm planning a wedding, getting married in the beginning of October. So life's been fun and busy, but it's always lovely to just stop what I'm doing and come back and record the podcast and connect with all of you out there. So I've been hearing from you that the podcast is helping you, that you've got great ideas for subjects and topics that you want to hear about. One of the most interesting I received lately, I've received a lot of really good ones, but one that really struck a chord with me because I have a lot of history with it is a podcast on spiritual abuse. So I'm definitely doing that in this month. I've already got that kind of formulating in my head. So I will get to that, Ashley. Um, So other orders of business. Thank you for those of you who are leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you subscribe to the podcast, that's actually the best thing you can do to help it move up the charts. If you enjoy this and you want to support it, please consider leaving a five-star review. Please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts. But the most important thing you can do is actually subscribe. So thank you to all of you who are doing that. You know where to find me on Instagram. It's just Vanessa the Therapist. Okay, so let's talk about The Toolbox. The Toolbox is the book I wrote, and it came from years of experience in a clinical setting as a couples therapist and, of course, personal experience, lived experience, realizing that I grew up with a certain set of tools to relate, and most of those were based on how I needed to relate with my parents. That's where we learn how to do relationship. You learn to do relationship with your caregivers. And if those are fair, healthy, balanced relationships where there's a lot of healthy dynamics going on, then we grow up pretty well equipped for adult intimacy. But if they're not, we grow up with a pretty skewed toolbox. And that was me. I grew up into adulthood and I write about some of this in in the introduction of the book about how my tools were just really about creating this romantic love affair that I thought I was supposed to be creating. I thought that's what relationships were. And I didn't know about communication and conflict resolution and empathy and where all of those things fell into line in a relationship. So I wrote the toolbox for that reason. But one of the things I realized as I was writing the toolbox and what prepared me to write the toolbox is that everybody has a toolbox. Everybody listening to this podcast, all of you have a toolbox that you came into adulthood with. Like, this is what I do in relationship. Now that could be healthy or unhealthy. You could have a tool that says, hey, you know, when the going gets tough, we're going to sit down and talk it out. That's a tool. Conflict resolution. Some of you are conflict avoidant. When the going gets tough, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and avoid it. And I have a million tactics so that I don't have to deal with conflict. Okay, that's a different tool. That is not conducive to healthy relationships, but it protects you. And that's what tools are meant to do. So today's podcast is the narcissist's toolbox. Here's the good news. They don't have that many tools. Narcissists really only have about five or six tools in their toolbox that they can whip out at the ready. And all of it does the same thing that our dysfunctional tools do. All of their tools serve to protect them. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how 
the narcissist becomes the narcissist. Where does the word come from anyway? Well, it's from a Greek myth, Narcissus, right? Narcissus fell in love with his own reflection. And that's really where we get the idea of the narcissist is someone who has a self-image that they will gaze at, stare at, become obsessed with, and do anything to protect. Okay, that's the origin of the word narcissist. Falling in love with your self-image, although... In typical narcissism, self-loathing is as strong as self-admiration. The important piece that we're going to talk about today is that image has to be maintained at all costs. Whatever that image is that the narcissist has of themselves, it has to be maintained at all costs. And all of their tools, all of their behaviors are meant to maintain the image. So how does a narcissist become a narcissist? Well, there's a wound. There is some wound that takes place in childhood and it is deep and existential and painful enough that the child basically develops somewhat of like an ideal fantasy alter ego where the world is beautiful and they may escape into fantasy in their mind. They may try to escape into fantasy in relationships. They may try to escape into fantasy in drugs and alcohol. But one way or another, they're trying to get away from their pain. And the image of the self now becomes part of the fantasy. If I were beautiful and good and noble and valiant and courageous, like they've got this real idealized view of themselves. If I were all of those things, then I can protect myself and my loved ones from the wound. The wound is driving everything. The wound created shame. The wound created distrust. Okay. The false self that develops is very, very well defined in fantasy. It's a grandiose idealized view of the self. The problem with a narcissistic personality is that all of life becomes the pursuit of the dream. I call it the castle in the air. The narcissist has ascended to the castle in the air where their life is different and their life is better and they are uniquely beautiful, good, noble, capable, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be, you know, the image of the classically narcissistic guy in the beautiful suit getting out of the Lamborghini who just thinks he's the hottest thing since sliced bread. That is a very obvious presentation of narcissism. That could also be a very self-confident human being. But when we're talking about narcissism, we're talking about I have this image of myself that's covering over my shame and my hurt, and I will defend it at all costs. And I will attack anyone who offends or threatens my castle in the sky. So the idea of being in a relationship with a narcissistic person is you have two options. You either buy in or you're out. That's the problem. You have to buy into the fantasy of who this person is, who they have designed themselves to be in their head that moves them. Remember, it moves them away from the wound. It protects them against the shame and the hurt of the wound. So you've got to buy in to this idealized version of themselves Whatever that means, and let me tell you that the ego of a narcissist is a moving target. It's not always consistent, but if you're in, then you have to buy in all the time. And what this creates in people who are in relationships with narcissists is what we call hypervigilance. You are always on high alert. Okay, what mood are they in today? Are they sick? Are they well? 
Because if they're sick, I have to attend to them with compassion and service and mercy. And if they're well, I can relate with them like they're well and healthy. Are they down or are they up? Because if they're down, then I have to be down with them and I have to wallow with them and I have to pull them up and rescue them. But if they're up, then I have to be happy with them and joyful and I can't bring them down. See, everything is orienting around that person. There is no empathy. What is empathy? Empathy is the ability to feel what other people are feeling. Empathy is the ability to notice and feel like, oh, I'm really dragging you down right now, aren't I? That's an empathic observation. Or, wow, you seem down in the dumps and I wasn't really attuned to that. I'm kind of having a great day. What's going on? That's empathy. It's just the ability to like outwardly attune to other people and allow their state to become known in your own body. Narcissists lack empathy. They can't feel that. When they're on the narcissistic train toward the castle in the sky, you better get on or you're out. Now, what that creates in their life are what we call narcissistic supply. If you are narcissistic supply, it means that you're orienting around the narcissist. They're getting their ego supply from you. You're going to feel like a pawn. You're going to feel like a minion. You are a participant in the fantasy life of the narcissist. What we see developmentally in narcissism is that they're basically stalled at a very, very early stage of development. There's a stage of development that we all went through, and it's when your ego develops. It's when you're two years old, three years old, and you really truly believe that the entire world rotates around you. You know, well, you have to go to bed now. Why? You know, you have to eat your food. Why? No. I mean, there's just this real rigid emboldened sense that if it does not benefit me, it will not happen, right? And so why do we call them the terrible twos? Because they're very egocentric, very egocentric. And what the child is really learning during that time is empathy. They're learning that you aren't the center of the world. You aren't the center of every conversation. You aren't the center of the universe, right? There are other people and other people's needs Now, a narcissist would hear that and say, well, I know that and I I serve other people's needs and I'm I'm here for other people's needs. In fact, that's all I do. Right. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the narcissistic tendency to play the saint and play the victim. And they play the martyr like no one else. (laughs) But let's talk about the second feature of narcissism. There's a lack of insight. What do we mean by insight? Insight is the ability to reflect on your own life, your own behaviors, and see connections between your past, your present, your motives, your behaviors. It's the ability to know yourself and to tolerate the shame that comes from really deep self-knowledge. Most people avoid self-knowledge because it's too shameful. And that's sad, but we all experience that. Why? Because we see the twisted dark corners within ourselves when we look within. When a narcissist looks within, what they want to see is goodness. They won't always see right action, but they always, always are going to see right motives. Why? Because they lack any insight. And I'll talk about that more at the end. Okay, so we're going to talk about the toolbox. We're going to talk about the six behaviors, and there might be more than this. If there are, just, you know, shoot me an email or DM DM me on Instagram because might have missed some, but these are like the six main behaviors that you're going to see in a narcissistic personality structure. Why are we talking about this? Well, because, you know, I'm so sick of this word. We use it probably way too often. But the reality is, is that we need to know how to protect ourselves from personalities that are this problematic. 
That's why I'm doing this today. It's not so you can point your finger at your friend. He's a narcissist. She's a narcissist. But you also need to be able to identify what these behaviors are. When we're talking about lack of empathy and lack of insight, that's actually harder to see in someone unless you're professionally trained. I mean, therapists can notice that pretty quickly because we're attuned to things in a different way. We're trained to think about our interaction with our clients in a way that's very diagnostic. We're trained to think that way. We're looking for certain behaviors. We're noticing that we're connecting or not connecting with the client and we're wondering why. And it's never judgment. We're just highly attuned to connection. That's what therapists do. We connect for a living. We teach people how to connect for a living. Okay. So we can notice a lack of empathy, a lack of insight rather quickly because we're engaging in conversations weekly with that professional attunement in mind. But in our everyday lives, You know, I don't think we're running into each other at the grocery store or hanging out with each other on Friday night. Like, well, let me see if so-and-so is empathic and insightful. We're just not doing that. So some of these people kind of creep into our lives and they creep up on us and we don't know how. So what I want to talk about are the behaviors that you can really notice that are going to let you know that you might be in a relationship or you might be experiencing a narcissistic personality structure. And then you have to ask yourself, what role am I going to play? Am I going to buy in? Because if I don't buy in, I'm out. Okay, let's dive in. First behavior, love bombing. Love bombing, what does that mean? It means to overwhelm someone, their mind, their senses with pleasure and praise. That is the definition of love bombing. You are overwhelming another person with pleasure and praise. You might be thinking to yourself, well, Vanessa, that sounds great. I wish somebody would overwhelm me with pleasure and praise. Yes, it is lovely. I'm sure it is in small doses, but it is meant to overwhelm you. What does the word overwhelm means? It means to be submerged in water. It means to be underwater. It is meant to overwhelm you, which is to weaken you. It is meant to set up the relationship in a state of automatic gratitude and appreciation for the narcissist. What does that mean? It means they immediately have the upper hand. The message of love bombing is, I am who you've been waiting for. And how do they do that? Gifts. They could be expensive. Very often they're unexpected. They're surprises. They're thoughtful. They are meant to win your loyalty. They are meant to deliver the message that no one will love you like I love you. No one can see you like I see you. It is meant to convey we have a special relationship. You are special. I have special insight into who you are. I give you special nicknames. Now, in the mind of the narcissist, remember, they have to see themselves as good. Okay? In the mind of the narcissist, they are merely meant, the gifts are merely meant to demonstrate love and affection. But when you challenge them, be prepared for the backlash of, I can't believe you're rejecting me after all I've done for you. Okay? The gifts are always going to be included in the relationship. They are not truly gifts. They are transactions. I give you this, you give me your undying loyalty. I praise you, you admire me. It's all about tying you to them. To deny the gift would be to deny them. Now, what does this serve to do? This tactic, okay, this behavior of love bombing, 
creates an image of them in your eyes that no one can compete with. They are the most, the best, the most generous. No one will ever love me like they will. Now, this is part of the confusion and honestly, the pleasure of being in a relationship with a narcissist. Because when you're on the receiving end of love bombing, let's be honest, it feels really good. They do have an ability to give you a special thing, a memorable thing. You will be intrigued and seduced by the delight and the surprise. Remember, it's all meant to overwhelm you with praise and pleasure. That will come through the senses. You will be emotionally delighted. But what it actually is, is a transaction. I give you this, you give me your loyalty. Now, all of a sudden, you've been recruited. You didn't know this, but you've been recruited to be on the team that supports and defends and cheers on the castle in the air. Okay, you've become a citizen of this town. (laughs) You didn't know that. But your name is now chiseled in the wall because you accepted the gifts. You accepted the praise. You took in the love bombing. And what did that do? It tied you as a citizen of the castle in the air. Okay, that's love bombing. Let's talk about monopolizing the conversation. This is a big one. When you are in a relationship with someone who's got a real narcissistic personality structure, all roads lead to them. You know the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to a narcissist. You could bring up the price of oranges. You could bring up a medical procedure you just had. You could bring up how you did on a paper you wrote in school from your own mind about your own lived experience. I mean, it could be general. It could be specific to you. It could be anything. Whatever you have experienced, whatever you bring to a narcissist in conversation, it will go back to them. It will become about them. All roads lead to them. Now, let's qualify this a little bit. Most people are basically egocentric. Most of us are. I don't know anyone who isn't. That's part of being human and you have to be in order to survive life. Why? Because we have to have a working knowledge of what we need and who we are. And when you're egocentric and we have moments of egocentrism, we're operating from that assumption. That's what egocentric means. It means the assumption is that your ego is at the center of whatever is going on. Okay, as you become older, wiser, humbler, as life works, it's beautiful magic on us and we age in a evolutional kind of way, meaning we're evolving forward. We become less egocentric. We're able to take things into our mind and our soul and our heart for what they are, not for what we perceive them to be. And the longer you live, the more you know what I'm talking about. We're able to be in the presence of something without needing it to be personally relevant. We're able to for example, empathize with someone without having all of our own pain coming up. We really can keep it about them. We can have a two hour long conversation with someone in need and never, ever make it about ourselves, right? That comes with time. It comes with age. It comes with the ability to be insightful. But most people start off, all people start off as children and all children are very egocentric. So what does that mean? It just means we tend to assume the world is as we see it. And as I said, as we get older and we get wiser, we begin to realize that the world is not as we see it. The world is as it is. And we have to become 
more expansive. We have to grow in our ability to see it. In the narcissistic personality structure, their worldview is the truth. That is the way the world works. There is no difference between my mind and the truth. It's one and the same. If I see it this way, that's how it is. It's pretty dangerous because imagine the ego of a person who believes that they have cornered the market on truth, that my worldview is so true through and through that it's trustworthy, that I can give it to other people and they can wholesale align themselves to it, assign themselves to it, live by it, and they will do well. I mean, that is terrifying for me. And, you know, my clients know this, but they might say, well, Vanessa, what do I do? I don't know. I don't know what you should do. I don't even know what I would do in that situation. I have a sense of what I might do, but let's explore your options. What are your options for what you should do? And that's coming from a very genuine place in me. I don't know. There are a handful of times I have thought in my chair, in my office, I know exactly what you should do. And it typically has to do with leaving an abusive relationship. But do I know what timing you should do that? No. Do I know how you should do that? No. But if it's outwardly abusive, sometimes I am thinking to myself, you should probably get out of this. But I don't know what that journey looks like for them because their own pace is going to be the pace at which they learn all their lessons and they grow and evolve. And I can't step into that. That's holy ground. You know, you you have your own life, your own path. It is not for me to speed you up, slow you down, set you to the right, to the left. No, not at all. It is my job to walk with you and to help you see the options before you and help you reason through them. But I say that to say in the narcissistic worldview, they know what you should do. They know the path. They don't realize they might be wrong. Now, they might say they're wrong at times. But it's usually in the context of, oh, yeah, I I thought I was wrong about that person. That person can't be trusted. It's always, always, always I was wrong because I should have protected my ego better. It's not, no, I was wrong because I was morally bankrupt in that moment. Or I was wrong because I caused you harm and there was no excuse for that. I was wrong because I read the whole situation incorrectly. You're not going to hear that out of a narcissistic personality structure. Not typically. Not at all. They don't have the ability to look at themselves and identify their own biases. For example, they can't say to themselves, you know, I had this way of looking at things because of these experiences in my life, and that really skewed my vision. And the world is indeed, it's different than how I thought it was in my mind because I had this bias, because I had this wound, because I I became someone who saw the world this way. You know, sometimes I'll throw this in there. Sometimes I reference the Enneagram. I like the Enneagram. I think it does a lot of good. I think it sheds a lot of light on how we tend to operate as people. In that way, I think it's a pretty useful tool. And one of the gifts that the Enneagram, and if you don't know about the Enneagram, just DM me or Google it, but really DM me and I'll give you some good resources. If you don't know much about it, the Enneagram is nine personality styles, nine structures of personality. And what it gives you is insight into because you've been wounded in this way, you tend to view the world this way. That's like the gift of the Enneagram is starting to understand that the way you see the world is not necessarily the way it is. It's just the way you see it because of your wounds, your biases, and your personal tendencies. But that's not necessarily the way it is in general, and it's definitely not the way it is for other people. 
And if you know your number and you meet someone who has your number, there's always just sort of this funny moment like, oh, okay, we get each other. It's why? It's because we see the world the same way, but that's not necessarily the way the world is. Narcissists don't have the ability to make that distinction. They can't say to themselves, I created this whole scheme in my mind of how I operate in the world and who I thought I was. I created this whole scheme in my my mind to protect myself. And I can see now that that was false. It was inaccurate. It was skewed. I could see how I hurt people. I can see how I misjudged people. I can see how I totally missed situations because I held this view. All of that kind of self-analysis and self-realization takes insight which is, again, the ability to look inward and see. And narcissists can't do that. So what's the effect of the monopolization of conversation? The effect is that you're less important. Your stories are their stories. Your experiences will be hijacked and become their experiences. And your experiences will only be understood through their lens, not as your own distinct experience. The most loving, healthy life-giving, healing experience you can give another person is to interact with them with the full conscious knowledge that they are not you. I am interacting with another miracle, unique unto itself. You are allowed to be you. You are allowed to be different. You are allowed to see the world differently. In fact, you must, because I want to experience you. The narcissist wants to experience themselves. Whatever, again, that ego is a moving target. If they're low on the rung of the ladder of self-esteem, you better reflect that back and then rescue them. And if they're high on the ladder of self-esteem, then you better reflect that back. That ego is a moving target. It keeps you hypervigilant, oriented toward the narcissist. You can't, therefore, be oriented toward yourself. So monopolizing the conversation is a tactic that serves to frame every conversation into something that meets their needs. They're not hearing you. They're not seeing you. They're not empathizing with you. They're listening to reflect themselves back to themselves. And in this case, you are narcissistic supply. All right. Playing the saint. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I'm like physically nauseous. I hate this. It probably means on some level I do it, right? If you can spot it, you got it. If it makes you sick, it's in there. All right, let's talk about it. The narcissist is always right. They're always in the right. Right motives, right action. And if they will own that they've taken wrong action, it's always excused by right motives. Remember that the castle in the sky, the person who rules that castle, which you are now a citizen of, if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, You've become a citizen of a town you've never wanted to visit. That image, the king or the queen of the castle in the sky, in their mind, what makes them good is that they always, always have good motives. And here's the weird kind of demented part of it. It's pretty sick and deep. Their motives in a way always are good because they're always trying to protect the child within them. And that's the heartbreaking part. Because there's a wounded child in there that this narcissistic image, this false self is violently protecting. The problem is they can't see that. They won't own all that they do, all the tactics, all the manipulations 
that they do to protect that child. It's too vulnerable. Because they need to be convinced that not only is the child good and worth saving, but the adult is good. And this is how they play the saint. They may admit that they did wrong, which is pretty rare for a narcissist. You're not going to get a lot of apologies from them. But they will not admit that their motives were wrong. They will always claim, I was only trying to help. I was only trying to do this. I will always try to do that. They're always going to be the innocent party in a conflict because their motives in their own mind are always pure. They have an imaginary, fantastical image of their own goodness. So they're going to play the rescuer. I can save you. No one will love you like I will. And in that way, I want you to listen to these two statements. I can save you. I will rescue you. And no one will love you like I do. Friends, they are playing God. And if you believe in God, especially the Judeo-Christian God, you have heard these words spoken to be true of God. I can save you. I will rescue you. No one will love you and no one loves you like I do. That is a God complex. And you will hear it in the narcissist who's playing the saint. They need you weaker so that they are stronger. They need you smaller so that they are bigger. But remember, the tactic is so subtle and so manipulative that they will give you the experience that they are being saints and being good by rescuing you because you are small and weak. And they will never own, I keep you small and I keep you weak so that I can keep being your rescuer. I let you, I subtly make you smaller and weaker than me and less than me so that I can be bigger and better. And they do that, and they will never admit it. And if you are in a relationship with a narcissist and you're listening to my words right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But they play the saint. I'm just trying to be there for you. I'm just trying to help. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm going to get into playing the victim next because that's the other tactic. This is the flip side of playing the saint. Now, Going one step further, they need you to be smaller. They need you to be weaker. They need you to be less so that they can be greater. When they're playing the saint, they're not always playing the saint. When they're playing the martyr, it's actually reversed. But when they're playing the saint, they are the hero with the cape on. Again, the castle in the air. This is who they want to believe they are. But don't fall apart too much. Don't be too weak. Don't be too messy. Don't be too needy because then you're going to reflect poorly on the narcissist. See, I play the saint, but you keep yourself in needy balance with my ego. When I want to rescue you, let me rescue you. When I need you to be less than me, be less than me. Remember, that's the buy-in. The buy-in is I will always orient around your ego. Whatever your ego needs, I will become that. I will shape shift to meet the need. And when you see kids, and you're hearing one right now, who were raised in narcissistic families, the ability to do that is so fast, it's automatic by the time they get to adulthood. They are orienting, I'm snapping my face, they're orient, orienting around other people like this, just lightning speed, because it's honed from childhood. And the consequence of not doing that is emotional abandonment, and I'm going to get into it, narcissistic rage. 
So remember, when the narcissist is playing the saint and the victim, which we're going to get into, all aspects of the narcissist's life have to reflect on their ego state as they want it. When they're playing the saint, it has to reflect positively on them. Remember that you exist to serve that ego. You do not exist because you belong to yourself, because you belong to God, you belong to the universe, you have a life unto your own, you are meant to be here. No, no, not in the mind of a narcissist. You do not exist for all of that, because if you existed for all of that, they would have no claim over you. You can't use someone for your own egoic needs when you deeply believe that they exist unto themselves, that they don't belong to you. You can't therefore use them. Those two things would not happen at the same time. In order to use someone for your own ego's needs, you need to believe that they exist on some level in that moment for you. Now, is this a conscious thought in a narcissistic mind? No, but remember, they don't have insight. Insight is the ability to make the unconscious conscious. When someone is healing from narcissism, they're going to say things, and it's possible. It is possible. I had a lot of narcissistic features because I was raised by two of them. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I mean, I remember going to my therapist over and over, am I a narcissist? I think I'm a narcissist. And no, I don't think you are, Vanessa. But I could see some narcissistic tendencies, mostly monopolizing the conversation. Okay? I could see that my abilities to be in relationship were severely limited by my parents' narcissistic behaviors. I was sort of stuck in, how do I want people to see me? What perception do I want people to have of me? And I wasn't ruthlessly protecting that most of the time. I'm sure I was at least a little bit of the time, but I was very much protecting that. But what made it so that I could heal was that I named it. I was actually able to say, wait a second, hang on. That's my image. That is not me. That's how I want you to see me. That's how I think I need to be seen so that you'll love me. But that's not me. Here's the real me. They can't do that. Your job when they're playing the saint is to see how good they are. Your job is to compliment, praise, and admire them. That keeps you bought in. You can stay in the castle in the air as long as you enthusiastically notice the sacrifices that the saint is making. And if you fail to, you're failing to live up to the fantasy. What does that mean? It means you're edging too close to the reality where people are just people. And if you're a person, you're full of mixed motives and actions. The narcissist always has to be seen as having pure intentions, pure motives. They will never own that what they do is about power, control, and self-benefit. And everyone does this. Everyone in life, in huge ways, in subtle ways, works through their relationships to get their own needs met without owning it. Why? Because we're ashamed to ask for what we need. What do I mean? Here's how subtle it could be. Do you ever ask someone how they're doing because you really need and want them to ask you how you're doing? Do you ever call someone, hey, honey, I'm just checking in. Hey, man, how's it going? Because you need that. Do you ever basically tell lies, edit, to present yourself in such a way so that you think people will love you a stronger, better version of yourself? Friends, that is control. That is misleading, deceiving for self-benefit. 
Now, am I sitting on high on a throne saying, oh my goodness, all these people? No, I've done it. We do it. That's human nature. The growth path of intimacy is the ability to say, this is what I'm doing and I don't want to do that anymore. I want you to see me as I am. That's intimacy. Into me see. Intimacy. Narcissists aren't going to do this. And if they do, it is masterfully crafted to procure your sympathy. Again, they can't let you see that darker side of them that is all about power, control, and self-benefit. In psychology, we call that the shadow. It's the part of you that's shadowy. It doesn't grow up in the light. You don't want to shine light on it. It's the parts of us we wish we could all just wish away, okay? But we all do this. Some of us don't say no. We think we have to say yes to everything. We're people pleasers. And why are we people pleasers? Because we need to control people's perception of us. We don't want people to think we're selfish. People pleasing is all about control. Not having boundaries is all about control. We are all egocentric. What makes a narcissist a narcissist is they can't own it. So what does this tactic do? It fashions their own version of themselves in your mind. It fixes that in your mind instead of being themselves, allowing you to experience them and forming your own opinion of them. No, no, that is way out of their control. They have to control it. Okay, now let's talk about playing the victim. This is the most, I think, misunderstood and subtle aspect of truly narcissistic personality structures. It flies under the radar all the time. So I'm going to try and do a decent job of unpacking it. And this one also boils my blood. And honestly, it's like memories are coming back of just being on the receiving end of these behaviors, even as a kid and being so frustrated because I didn't know what to do. It was a moving target for sure, but I didn't know that. I was just scared and anxious all the time. And that's what, you know, I'm aware right now of feeling some anger. And it's like, I'm feeling angry for you, for children, for little Vanessa, who have to go through this without knowledge. I didn't have anybody explaining any of this to me. I walked through life probably into my 30s you know, having some narcissistic features, but also still being very attracted to narcissistic personality structures and getting wounded and wounded and wounded by the same types of people. And I couldn't yet see it completely in myself. And I'll never forget, never forget the day I walked into therapy and was like, I am a lot like my mother. And that is a problem (laughs) because I have a lot of her best traits. I am a lot like her. I have a lot of her best traits. My mother was vivacious. She was warm. She was sort of passionately electric. Like she had so much life in her. And I think I either inherited that or she modeled it and I learned to be that way. And I loved that about her. She was really, really exciting and fun. But she was deeply narcissistic. And I remember seeing it in myself. And I remember then feeling the hope. Like, okay, if I can see it, I can bring this to myself, to my therapist, to my friends, to my higher power, to my God, and this can change. And it did. But as I talk through this, 
there is like anger welling up in me because I know what it's like to be on the other side of these relationships. I know what it's like when you're faced with someone who five minutes ago was the saint and now they're the victim. Okay, so playing the victim. This runs against what people normally think of when we think of narcissists because we typically think of grandiosity. I'm so great. I'm so beautiful. It's all about me, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, the important piece about when they're playing the victim is that it is still all about them. When they're playing the saint, it's all about their goodness. When they're playing the victim, it is all about their pain. And you cannot interrupt their goodness, not if you're a buy-in. And if they're playing the victim, you cannot interrupt their pain. Their pain is consuming. Their lowness, their lowliness, the low self-image, the self-loathing is the truth. Remember that their worldview is the truth. It's not a perspective. It is the truth. And that's that distinction they can't make because they lack insight. They can't see, well, no, this isn't the truth. It's just my perspective. No, no. It is the truth. So when they're playing the victim, they are the worst. There's nothing good in me. I'm the worst. I'm so sorry you had to suffer with a mother like me. I'm so sorry I have failed you as a father. I'm so sorry you have to be married to the worst person on planet Earth. What are you supposed to say to this? And we are going to talk about that. The end of today's podcast is going to be all kinds of tactics to get you out of these situations and stand your ground, okay? But when they're playing the victim, they are actually begging to be rescued. And they're setting up extremes so that you will talk them out of it. It's like that little three-year-old is screaming, parent me, please parent me. But they will reject you. Why? Because wherever their ego marker is, you have to orient around that to be in the buy-in. Now let's talk about splitting. Splitting means that we see people as all good or all bad. And narcissists do that. And people who have what we call a borderline personality structure do that. They split people into two camps. You're either the best person in the world or you're a piece of crap. And narcissists do this very easily with themselves, right? I'm either the saint or the trash on the bottom of the floor. And they will do this with you. They will split you into all good and all bad. You can't be a whole person. Again, regular human being, good, bad, mixed motives, normal, just normal. You can't be that. You are all good or you are all bad. You will be seen as mean for having a boundary. If you set a boundary with a narcissist, they will immediately play the victim. You will be seen as mean for speaking up, for saying that you felt hurt. You'll be perceived as mean, selfish, for meeting your own needs, Think about what you're hearing. You're mean. It's a three-year-old, right? It's the three-year-old who accuses their parents of being mean for sending them to bed. This is the mindset. The manipulative tactic here is to create shame for having boundaries or needing your own personal space. The manipulative tactic here is to create a loneliness, a desperation of personhood in the narcissist so that you will rescue them. They're letting you see a window of their own self-loathing, but make no mistake, there is a manipulative aspect to it. And it is meant so that you will rescue, you will agree with them. And then what does that do? It makes you the abuser. There is no end to the web of manipulation. So we're going to talk at the end about how to stand your ground and stay sane. 
playing the victim. Okay, narcissistic rage. This is a tough one. Narcissistic rage is really where the outright abuse happens when you're in a relationship with a narcissist. So what what happens? In narcissistic rage, you have stepped outside of the castle in the air. You have inched into reality and you've pushed them too close to it. So whatever their ego need is in the moment, you're failing to meet it. You're fighting it. Really what you're doing is fighting for your sanity, but you're fighting them. Rage is all about control. It is meant to frighten you, intimidate you, shut you down, shut you up, scare you, and horrify you back into line. And they will scream and throw a fit and a tantrum like a four-year-old in the aisle of a grocery store. (laughs) They will do this. And it is meant to control you with their strong emotions so that you will be frightened enough to get yourself back into line. Now, what happens when a narcissist is enraged? Well, what happens to you is that you become emotionally flooded. They will name call. They will assassinate your character. They will threaten to abandon you. This is just all part of narcissistic rage. And you'll become emotionally flooded and you'll scramble to stay safe and to feel safe. You can't think in that state. You can't rationally think in that state because you're scared. It's a frightening thing when a narcissist comes at you in a narcissistic rage. The manipulative tactic is meant to disarm you, to disorient you back into line, back where they want you, where they're in control. Okay, last tactic, and then we're going to talk about how to stand your ground, gaslighting. This would not be a podcast on narcissism if we didn't talk about gaslighting. Gaslighting is the crazy making stuff. So we got the term gaslighting from the play, and then it became a movie, Gaslight. And long story short, it's about a couple. And I don't remember the details of why some of you out there listening will know this. But the basic plot is there's a married couple and they have lamps on their front porch or in their foyer and they're lit by gas and every night the husband turns them down just a little bit and the wife goes does it seem dimmer in here is it darker in here and he goes no Mm -mm." so she's noticing what's going on but he's making her question her reality and if I'm not mistaken the ultimate end of the plot is that she goes insane because he caused her by lying to her about reality, causing her to question her own reality, the goal of the gaslit mind is for you to question your own mind, for you to question your own senses, for you to question the way that you're living in reality. Okay? So what does gaslighting look like in real life now? It means that you change the story without acknowledging that you've changed your mind. And the narcissist will do this. No, I never said that. I've always said that we were leaving on Tuesday. No, you said we were leaving on Wednesday. No, I didn't. I said we were leaving on Tuesday. Now, remember that there's no empathy. They can't empathize with your confusion or frustration. So you're going to hear that and you will rightfully feel confused and frustrated, but they don't have the empathy to go, you know, I don't want to make this person suffer. You know, yes, you're right. I did say Tuesday. I meant Wednesday or whatever I said, you know. I did say that, but then after I thought about it, I thought, no, it makes more sense for us to leave on this day. And I just never talked to you about it. And I'm sorry. You're right. I did say that initially, but then it changed. Okay. That's not narcissistic. That's empathic. That's, I don't want to cause you to suffer. 
in confusion and frustration when, yeah, I did change the plan. In the narcissist's mind, they may never even get there. What their, re remember, their worldview is reality. So if it's Tuesday and they say to, no, it was always Tuesday, but it wasn't. But they don't have the empathy to say, you're right, I changed it. They will let you suffer while they gaslight you and not do anything to stop it. Gaslighting is the tactic that the narcissistic person will, will use that makes you feel like you want to record every conversation you have. If you think to yourself, I wish I was recording every conversation we have, you are in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic tendencies. I'm not saying full-blown narcissism. Everybody has tendencies, okay? We all do this, some of the stuff every once in a while. But when it's consistent across the personality spectrum, across the lifespan, you've got a problem. You've got a problem, okay? Gaslighting takes place when the narcissist expects you to deny your own reality and then agree with theirs. What they say is truth, regardless of what you have lived, seen, observed, experienced, it doesn't matter. What they say is the truth. What does this serve to do? This tactic serves to keep them in the position of the creator of reality and not you. Remember I said a few minutes ago that they're playing God? Whatever I say I am is what I am. And you are not allowed to disagree with it. Whatever I say truth is, is what truth is. Whatever I say happened is what happened. And you are not allowed to disagree with it. Friends, at the core of that personality is an individual playing God. Okay, now, how do we engage against these behaviors? When you are being love-bombed, you may not know it yet because love-bombing takes place early on. This is right when you're getting into a relationship with a narcissist. This is the best person I've ever met. This is the best person since sliced bread. Well, they're presenting themselves that way. So you might not yet know if this is a narcissistic person. What do you do? Receive what feels comfortable and safe. And if anything feels uncomfortable, a compliment, a gift, whatever it is, decline. If they react poorly, heads up. Heads up. Because an empathic person, if you say, you know what, that's so sweet. I would love to accept this from you. I just think it's a little early on in our relationship for such an extravagant gift. But this is so sweet. I really appreciate the thought. An empathic person might say, oh, oh yeah, I mean, I, I probably got carried away here. I just thought you would really like this. But I, I'm sorry if I made you uncomfortable. I can understand how that might have made you uncomfortable. That's empathy. The narcissistic person will feel personally rejected if you reject a gift. Monopolizing the conversation. Bring yourself back in and see what happens. You might say, you know, I appreciate where you're going with this, but I, I brought all of this up actually because I really need to talk through some things. Do you mind if we just circle back to what I was saying? If you are working with a narcissistic personality structure, you're going to, and, and you have empathy, you're going to sense their ego gets hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. Or they will feel abandoned because it's no longer about them. Or they will in some way pout. Now, an empathic response, a healthy response would be, you know, I am so sorry. We got this off track and I kind of hijacked this conversation and I made it about me and it needs to be about you. And I'm so sorry. Yes, please. Let's resume where we were. The narcissistic personality on some level is going to feel so embarrassed by that 
that it will drive them into playing the victim. You're going to lose some of their energy. Their energy will drop in the conversation when you bring it back to yourself. And they might resent you for it. Playing the saint. One of the most powerful things you can do in a relationship with a narcissist is refuse to be rescued. Refuse to play small. Refuse to play needy. Friends, I hate to say this, but we all have moments where we are small and needy and we need help. We need someone to lift us up and champion us and rescue us a little bit. We need that. We're humans. We're interconnected in relationship. It is not safe for you to get this need met by a narcissist. And I hate to say this, but it's not. Because everything they are gathering about you is actually about them. Everything they learn about you will eventually be about them. That's why they use information against you, because it is always about them. So refuse to be rescued. See how they respond. A healthy person can let go without guilting you or feeling abandoned. The narcissist is going to play on that abandonment quite a bit. Oh, okay, fine. You don't need me. Cool. Got it. Yeah, sure. Figure it out. I remember I had a relationship with a narcissistic person and I, I, this is, this is the situation. I wanted to break up with my boyfriend. Okay. It was not working. I was not in love with him. I wanted to break up with my boyfriend and they thought they knew my life so well. It's crazy to say no. They thought they knew me and my life so well at the time that they were totally ticked off that I didn't decide to stay in the relationship because they thought I should have stayed in it. And I knew in my heart and my gut, this is not the right person for me, but they thought they knew better. So I have this conversation. I'm like, look, I need to do what I need to do. And this person bursts into tears. I'm not kidding. Bursts into tears, playing the victim. Fine, Vanessa, then just spread your wings and fly, fly. I mean, drama. Because I basically said, I don't want your input on this. I know what I need to do for myself. That's how you refuse to be rescued. Maybe that was the first time I ever did that. I think it was. Now, a healthy person, again, would say, you know, I have probably stepped too far into this. Of course, this is your decision. Of course. And I respect you. Please make the decision that you think is best in your life. If you want my input, I'll be happy to give it. But you're right. Like, I don't have any right to tell you what to do. It's your relationship. You're an adult. That's a healthy response. The narcissist is going to feel abandoned if you don't need them. Okay, when they're playing the victim, now refuse to be the rescuer. Let them have their own thoughts about themselves. Oh, I'm just the worst. Well, I hate that you feel that way. They will look at you like you have three heads. Why? Because what they're expecting is, what? No, you're not. You're the best. Oh my gosh, for all the things you've done for me and blah, 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 da, 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 da. You're beautiful. You're good. I have to reassure you back to the holy ground of the castle in the air. No, you don't. Refuse to be rescued when they're playing the saint. Refuse to rescue them when they're playing the victim. Let them sort through their own thoughts. You are not there to serve their ego. That is not why you exist in the relationship. You exist on this earth to be yourself. Not to serve others' egos. Rage. Calmly stand your ground. Calmly stand your ground. Breathe. This is hard. Because everything in you is going to want to fight back or run. Okay, that's the fight or flight response. You also might freeze. The fourth response is to fawn, which is to people please. 
stand your ground, let it pass, refuse to engage with rage. Why? Because nothing they're doing is rational and worthy of engagement. They are in ego protection to the highest degree. This is not rational. This is not reasonable. You cannot work through this. You are in relationship right now with an ego, not a person. So calmly stand your ground and discontinue conversations in which you feel frightened or in which you feel mistreated. This is your boundary. You are speaking to me right now in a way that feels unfair and unnecessary, and I'm not going to listen to this and walk away. Go into another room. Go for a drive. Calmly stand your ground. Gaslighting. Maintain your reality and do not be talked out of it. Except that there might be more than one perspective to a situation, because if you're not a narcissist, that's not going to be hard for you to do. Your perspective isn't the perspective. It is a perspective. That's how we know we're not narcissists, because we know that it's our perspective. But there is another equally worthy perspective to be heard. When you're engaging with gaslighting, do not let go of your own. Stand your ground in reality. No, that's not what you said. You said X, I trust my memory. If you do not remember that, not my circus, not my monkeys. I remember it and that is what you said. Now you will, if you're in relationship with a narcissistic personality, you are going to get into a battle. You get to decide how long you stay in it. Because remember that their perspective is reality for them. They can't ever say, you know, maybe we do remember that differently. I thought I said this, but you could be right. I may have said that. No, no, no. I said what I said. I remember it perfectly. And if you don't agree, you're wrong. That's the narcissistic personality. Stand your ground. Maintain your reality. What's the bottom line? Boundaries. When you're in a relationship with a healthy person, you are allowed to be an individual. You're allowed to have your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own choices, your own motives, your own space. When you are in a relationship with a narcissist, you have none of that. Everything you are in their presence serves them. And remember that they play the saint. So they may love bomb you and make you feel like everything they do is to serve you. Friends, I want you to ask yourself how you feel. Do you feel safe? heard, seen? Does it feel like empathy? Because if it's not, it doesn't feel that way in your body. And if it doesn't feel that way in your body, it's very likely you're in a relationship with a narcissistic personality structure. It's all about boundaries. You do not belong to anyone. You belong to yourself. You do not owe them. When we see ourselves that way as our own individuals worthy of our own perspective, thoughts, feelings, needs, space, we're going to act that way. All right, let's pause there. So good to be with you today, as always. Again, if you want to get in touch with me and you want to drop me a line, let me know what you think. You can always reach me on Instagram at Vanessa the Therapist. You can send me an email, the podcast at vanessalandino.com. You know, I love this quote. Uh, I found this when I was uh, looking for quotes about narcissism. 
at some point. Toxic people make you think you're holding a grudge when you're really holding a boundary. That's the distinction is when you're doing what's right for yourself, you're going to wind up being guilted for it. I encourage you to stand your ground. Why? Because your sole work is to discover who you truly are and learn how to love that human being, not to serve the ego needs of others. Till next time. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Landino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Landino podcast.